Welcome back to the Talking Points Summer Season Special. We hope you enjoy revisiting all of the gorgeous conversations with our Season 1 guests. Welcome to Talking Points, a ballet and dance podcast where we speak with some of the most extraordinary and famous dancers, artistic directors and choreographers. I'm your host, Claudia Lawson. Today I'm speaking with Queensland Ballet's Artistic Director and Mao's last dancer, Lee Shuing Sing. Lee was born into complete poverty in rural China, where he was plucked from obscurity to join the Beijing Dance Academy. He was put through years of brutal training, up to 16 hours a day, to become a dancer. However, his life was meant to be one of twists and turns. He was chosen to undergo an exchange to the United States to dance with the Houston Ballet. And while he was there, he fell in love and married an American dancer. The resulting standoff between the USA and China made Lee a global name and with it, a ballet superstar. But with that success also came pain. In this wonderfully personal and at times emotional interview, Lee shares stories from his early life and the trauma of being banned from China. But he also shares the highs, reuniting with his parents, finding enduring love, and to learning Auslan for his eldest daughter, Sophie. You have a very incredible personal journey um, to where you are today. Could you briefly take us back to the beginning? Because I don't think you were perhaps destined to become an artistic director. No, not a dancer either, because I was born into such poverty in Mao's communist China. You know, we were struggling for food. We had no running water. We didn't have warm clothes to wear in the bitterly cold winter weather where temperature could get down to 20 or 25 degrees below zero at winter time. You know, it was uh, truly to fight for survival on a daily basis. So how did ballet find you? When I was just turning 11, there were teachers from the Beijing Dance Academy uh, were sent looking for young talents across China uh, because Madame Mao, who loved ballet, and she was the honorary director of the Beijing Dance Academy. And so they were looking for little talents. You know, I was in a normal little school in a commune in uh, a northeastern part of China. And then suddenly four people from the Beijing Dance Academy walked into the room. And then I was uh, basically missed at the beginning when they asked to stand up to sing We Love You, Chairman Mao songs. As we're singing, these four people look at people's faces and get some vague idea of the people's physical um, you know, body shape through our thick cotton quilted cotton pants. My class teacher uh, stopped the last gentleman from leaving, said, excuse me, sir, what about that one? And she was pointing at me. For years, I never really thought to ask her why. Only when I was writing my autobiography in year 2000, that's when I, you know, when I was writing, reflecting upon that life-changing moment. So I kept up with her throughout the years and I called her up 
And I said to her, teacher son, please tell me why did you single me out that day? And then she said, well, you were just always physically active. And, you know, you could, couldn't keep still in the classroom. <laughs> and uh, you, were, you were very good on the sports field, running and, you know, jumping. You, you were, you know, she said you were always, you know, drive me crazy <laughs> with your <laughs> physicality. And uh, so I thought ballet is a physical art form. Maybe you'll be good at it. Wow. I mean, that's just how, you know, really bizarre how that one moment in time mm. for very little reason or for virtually no reason, somebody uh, did that for me. And I subsequently were discovered. Then we went through this amazing, really cruel uh, audition process where they virtually injured a lot of little bodies by uh, stretching them to the extreme to see how flexible you are. They measured every inch of our bodies to, to draw, try to get the best proportion. Uh, and then they have to check uh, three generations back of your family, make sure that none of your grandparents or uncles or um, you know, their wealthy landlords or factory owners because the mouse uh, communist revolution was all based on the peasants. And luckily, my family was poor peasants. And so you were chosen. I was chosen among millions of kids across China. And at the, that year, they selected 44 only, or between the age of 8 to 12. So I just turned 11 and left my family behind to went to Beijing to study ballet for seven years. I've heard you describe in many interviews that you hated ballet with a passion. Why did yes. you hate it? Oh, uh, well, look, for me as a child, my biggest dream was to save my family, to help them to survive. So for me, Bali was far removed, too far removed from my childhood dreams. Did it just and seem sort of frivolous? Like, why am I doing this when my family needs food and needs clothes? Oh, absolutely. I saw no connection how I could help my family with ballet. I feel guilty too because I had food to eat. I wasn't, uh, uh, you know, freezing at wintertime uh, like my family was. So I spent a lot of my time wishing that I could really swap places with my father, with my mother, with my six brothers. So you in Beijing by yourself, what, what changed? I was so bad. I was, by the end of the <laughs> second year, I was so worried I was going to be fired. Not worried for myself. I'll be so happy to be fired to go home. But I was worried my parents would, would be very disappointed at me and because I was the only hope. So you mean that you were you know, not a good dancer? Is that, is that how you saw I was, it? I was absolutely the laziest. I was the... Uh, I, I had no motivation and a, a lot of the um, teachers thought I was absolutely stupid and hopeless. Really? And, it's, it's hard uh, yeah. to imagine. Oh, no, I was, uh, was slow in pick-up exercises. Uh, you know, teachers want to put your leg uh, in front of you on the bar mm. with uh, both legs straight mm. and pull your body forward so your chest have to flatten on the knee, rest on the knee. And you have you can't get up until the teachers tell you so. But were and hamstrings it was so just painful. breaking? They actually uh, tore my hamstrings uh, during the audition process. 
So, uh, so I hated, I absolutely hated Bali and I find so boring. A lot of children, at least in Australia growing up, much of their love comes from being on stage and doing, you know, the little performances for parents and friends. And so was that not part of the experience? It was all just at the bar, on the centre, like centre work. Was oh, there yeah. any performance? Not, not the first few years, no. It was what, what we called at the Beijing Dance Academy was the foundation years, which is absolutely laying the foundation. So we would do, for example, conduits these days, you know, one counts or two counts the most for professional dancers. In my time, it took eight counts to go out eight counts to come back oh to God. a condo. So it was just <laughs> so slow, tedious. It was boring. I was convinced I was going to be fired at the end of the second year. Then something happened. A, a new Bali teacher came into my life. He was going to take over from uh, another teacher. And uh, he was absolutely amazing. We call him Teacher Xiao. And he spent a part of his time in Russia because his father was a quite important Communist Party official during the civil war in China. He was absolutely passionate about ballet. His love for the art form had truly inspired me, and he was the one who turned me around. And from that moment onwards, once I found passion in ballet, which from thinking it's the ugliest art form to thinking the most beautiful art form, and virtually I was then become the most dedicated, the most hardworking, the most passionate person for ballet. My life then filled with color, with enjoyment, uh, with ambition, with aims. He actually helped me to find that connection from what I cared about, which was to help my family, mm. to if I become a better dancer or the best dancer possible, then I could really help to save my family. That was the driving force for me initially until I find truly the beauty in ballet. Wow. So this new teacher, so is he the one who motivates you to train differently? Yeah. Well, what I did was I we didn't have the Pilates machines or go to the gym. The only thing I could think of was to strap heavy sandbags on my both of my ankles. I would jump, hop endlessly in the mornings when I uh, before 5.30 when others still deep asleep, uh, we had four levels of our uh, practice building. So I would hop on this one leg up and down, up and down with this heavy weight on my ankles. And I would hop, sometimes I would hop half an hour, an hour every morning, just to be able to really gain this muscle strength. And so when I get rid of these weights on my legs, then I feel so light. I, then that's how my jump started to improving. Eventually, I gained this strength to go to really pretty high with these sandbags on my legs. I used these sandbags on my legs when I was doing Alasacom Pirates or in any positions. So when I took them off, I really feel this incredible lightness on my legs. And so I have a tremendous strength. And so would your message to students be, if you have that sense that you're not naturally talented or in one area, whether that's turning, jumping, turnout, that if you persevere, it can actually become your biggest strength? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that um, work ethic, that uh, practice to make you perfect, they are so true. 
if you are willing to work hard, if you can practice relentlessly, nothing, nothing is impossible. You really be able to discover the technique and the strength that's required to allow you to be that consistent, um, you know, dancer that you aspire to be. You know, when I started turning at the beginning, I, I often threw up in the studio. Really? Yeah. And so what I did was I would sneak away into a dark studio at nighttime when all the students went to sleep. I would sneak away and I would light this little candle, uh, candle. In front of the candle light, I kept on spinning and turning. And uh, you can imagine just how difficult that is. Mm. I would do chenets, go towards from the end of the studio, go towards that little uh, in a flinkering candlelight, and I would continue spotting endlessly, spinning, 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 and and eventually I conquered my motion sickness because of that. So I became one of the best turners, <laughs> one of the best, best jumpers uh, when I graduated. And so this new ballet master is he the one who then orchestrated that exchange to the Houston Ballet? No, it was actually Ben Stevenson. Ben Stevenson was the uh, director of the Houston Ballet at the time. Mm-hmm. He was a former uh, principal dancer from the Royal Ballet. So oh, he, yes, he went to China among the first cultural delegation uh, from America uh, when China was just started to open it up. Oh, so he, yes, he taught master, two master classes at the Beijing Dance Academy, where I was just about to graduate. Mm-hmm. And then he singled me out along with another you know, student to offer two scholarships. So Ben Stevenson turns up. Yep. And then I guess this is probably the most well-known part of your story. You do an exchange to Houston Ballet and you not only become a superstar in the United States, but you fall in love and marry an American dancer, your first wife, and you want to stay in the States and you're held in the Chinese embassy. You were released um, and then China won't let you return or have any contact with your family. I wanted to ask about that separation and that time, I suppose particularly in light of COVID. But first, how did you come to be in Australia? Well, I met the love of my life, uh, which is her name then was Mary McKendry. And she was a former principal dancer at the London Festival Ballet, now it's called the English National Ballet. Mm-hmm. And she was born in Rockhampton. Uh, and uh, she grew up there and she was trained uh, with uh, Valeria Hansen. She had a little ballet school there. And then she subsequently got accepted into the Royal Ballet School. So when my partner in, at the Houston Ballet got injured, Ben Stevenson invited Mary to uh, replace her as a principal dancer at the Houston Valley. So we were paired together as dance partners. And that just absolutely um, changed my life, meeting Mary. Not only we found such incredible chemistry on stage in the studios, but also we fell in love with each other. So she is the reason that I eventually danced the final three and a half years as a principal dancer with the Australian Ballet. But she's, again, the reason I came to Australia uh, to settle down and uh, and to become artist director of the Queensland Ballet today. And so during your time in the US, 
you obviously were separated from your family and mm. you were unable to visit them. I've actually been wondering during COVID, you know, we're now restricted from flying again and I, I assume much of your family remain in China. Has that been, has that brought up those feelings from that time where you can't, you know, just get on a plane and go and see them? Yeah, it was, uh, it was the probably uh, nine years of the darkest period of my life. And when I got out of the Chinese consulate, my, uh, my connection with China was completely cut off with my family. Um, and I couldn't really write a letter home for so quite sorry. a few years. Um, thank you. And so uh, I, uh, I, think, I really think that whole emotional turmoil, uh, because I love my parents, my brothers, my family, and my relatives so dearly. And I loved my teachers and my classmates at the Beijing Dance Academy. Uh, so to not be able to communicate with them, the thought of never be able to see them again, never be able to return back to China again, it was just tortured me, truly. And I think that was the reason my first marriage broke down. Mm. And she was the reason I stayed in America. So, uh, so even times I would eat a piece of meat or fish or uh, receiving a prestigious award or performing in front of presidents and, you know, the royalties. And I just wished my parents were there witnessing those kind of beautiful moments in my life. But often, as they say, um, even though those kind of things is difficult to live through in your life at that time, but Looking back now, these kind of um, emotional turmoil, uh, these kind of sufferings actually made me a more mature person, a, a better artist as a result. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that I had to go through it, but actually probably made, a better, made me a better human being, made me a lot more grateful and I have a lot more gratitude about the opportunities that I have in life even today. Hmm. I mean, mental health is in, you know, in the media so much at the moment. Did you seek support or were you able to talk with people about your suffering? Or is that something that you just did, you know, within yourself? I was a very inward, you know, person. But uh, at that time, what saved me was Ben Stevenson and also my fellow dancers in the company, they effectively become my family. And they really helped me, held my hand and comforted me. Uh, and they understood uh, my suffering. And they uh, did everything they could to support me. And also people on the board of the Houston Valley too, I made so many friends over the years. Uh, and they were absolutely the people who got me through that period of very difficult time in my life. And uh, I, mm. uh, for that reason, I think uh, throughout the COVID period, uh, particularly during the uh, lockdown period, and uh, um, I reach out to every of our dancers. I had phone calls, uh, some of them uh, at least twice. Uh, and uh, we, you know, we communicated with them constantly as a company, made sure that they feel they are still cared 
by us and we are thinking of them and we want to help them wherever the way possible. So we did everything we can try to help our dancers. And on a daily basis, we saw them through Zoom classes, private coaching in the small groups. Um, so it was incredible when we came out of uh, the lockdown, some of our dancers were actually improved through that period of classes and a small group of coaching. So really, your separation during your time in Houston then went on to inform how you then were artistic director in terms of supporting your own dancers in a time when they couldn't see others. Yes. Mm. Yes. It's quite incredible, yes, that I do. full circle. Yes, I do understand just how difficult any kind of isolation uh, it is for a human being. And uh, even though I was not physically locked down in the room, but I was really being isolated from the people I love so dearly. And so that friendship, that caring, that supporter group, it is so important in times like that. Can you describe for us the first time you re-saw your parents after those nine years? It was the moment most magical. I would never forget as long as I live. From time to time, I give up hope of ever seeing my parents or my six brothers again. I just never could see the light of the end of the tunnel until I was um, performing with the Houston Ballet. I was about to perform the Prince in Swan Lake on the Kennedy Center stage. Barbara Bush, who was the vice president, lady, wherever, yeah, the, wife <laughs> the wife of the, of the vice yeah, president. the second yes. lady. Yeah. And so she was still on the board of the Houston Ballet. She and her husband, George Bush Sr., had helped uh, me and my um, uh, colleague to uh, go to Houston. Through that, that connection, they helped us get the visa to go to America. Oh, I so see. Uh, so we we uh, I got to know Barbara Bush relatively well through the years, and she she was uh, really caring about me. And because she and her husband had spent uh, the early years of their political careers in China when China first opened up, mm-hmm. and so uh, she then invited my director Ben Stevens and I to the White House for coffee. It was during that meeting. <laughs> she learned about my continuing difficulties with China. And she was rather surprised that I had not been allowed to go back to China. And had you had any news from your parents during these years or your brothers? Did you know of them at all? So so she was really surprised. In her mind, China had really opened up uh, under Deng Xiaoping. And then, uh, so what I didn't realize was on the opening night, of Swan Lake a couple of nights later. Uh, she was there with George Bush Sr. And they invited the Chinese ambassador and Kocha Tashe to see me dance as their guests. And, okay. and then at the end of the show, and they invited the Chinese guests to come back on stage with them to meet the dancers. And there they introduced me to them. And I was really really surprised because the culture attache thing was somebody who was in charge of the educational sector at the arts ministry in China. So he was the one actually briefed me before I left China to go to America. So it was was an incredible coincidence. And then uh, the next morning, 
they invited me and my director to the embassy for coffee. And there they told me that the Bushes had intervened on my behalf. They had asked them if they could help me with my situation with China. And they told me then that the, for me to go back to China was out of the question. But these want to see what they can do. So then, oh, so then a few months later, they, I received a, a, a letter from them saying that my parents have the permission to leave China to visit me in America. I bet you didn't even believe that it was possible. No, no I was absolutely feel like I was dreaming. And then, uh, and then what I didn't know was when they were going to arrive. And that was all handled by Ben Stevens and a couple of the board members uh, who really cared deeply for, you know, for me. And then they kept it all secret until virtually, just <laughs> until minutes before the show to start in Houston, we were doing the opening night of the Nutcracker. I was dancing the Prince that night. And there was, there was a delay, which I had no idea what it was that for. And we were told there were some dignitaries and there were some important people were uh, running late. And we, I immediately thought it was maybe Barbara Bush or George Brusenia because they often came to see our performances. And okay. then, uh, but it was my parents and their plane was delayed that day. So they had to have, uh, they had to enlist the police uh, escort and all that to get through the heavy traffic in Houston. So, so then it's the Ben Stevenson decided to delay the performance by up to 20 minutes, waited for them. So when during the waiting period, uh, words of my parents' arrival had started to spreading throughout the audience. And then when my parents were finally let into the theater, the whole audience started to applaud for them. It's just, it's emotional hearing it because they became the stars of the show that night. Yeah, and you, you can just imagine just how emotional my parents got. So when they came back on stage during the intermission uh, and my mother's handkerchief was just soaking wet with her tears. So uh, we were just all so emotional. And then when I got back to my dressing room to change for act two, when I look at myself in the mirror, my mother had wiped off not only my tears, but all of my, my whole face and makeup were all gone. <laughs> Yeah, so oh, it's the most incredible moment. I felt like a bird flying, so light. And, you know, I always know from my high jumps, but uh, that night I felt like I didn't want to come down. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, all my turns were felt effortless. So it was just one of those magical moments. You, you know, even though I was emotional, I, I knew my parents were in the audience, but it was just everything was just I can't do anything wrong. It was just one of those, uh, you know, uh, really performances. I just, I can't explain it. You just feel there's a, there's a, a sense of magic. Had your mom ever seen you dance? None. They have never seen me doing any dance steps up to that stage. Nothing. Nothing. They've never no. seen you. They've never no. walked into a theater never watched anything in the theatre, never went in a car, on an airplane, on a train, in a, uh, you know, nothing. What a story. So, Lee, I want to touch on another thing, if you're happy to chat about it, but you have been in the media recently for another really emotional story with your daughter and her hearing. Yeah. 
Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, Mary and I got married, and uh, that was in, in America. It was so beautiful in 1987, and then two years later, our first daughter Sophie was born, and she was just just brought such happiness to our lives. She was our perfect princess. My parents then came back to America again, uh, help us look after Sophie so Mary could go back on stage, which she did. And she was just dancing better after that. And then, she was also a principal for Houston. Is that right? That's right. Mm. Yes, she was a principal dancer at London Festival Ballet and worked with people like, you know, Rudolf Noriev and some legendary dancers. Wow. Um, and then danced with people like uh, Peter Sharpless and all that. And so she just had a, a really a beautiful career of her own. And then she, yeah, she was a principal dancer at the Houston Ballet. And then um, uh, we were actually dancing in Canada. In Toronto, we were touring there. And then uh, Mary decided to give up her dancing career altogether because uh, not long before then, we discovered Sophie was born totally deaf. And so our perfect world we have, we have imagined for her was instantly shattered. And I uh, was hoping she could speak Chinese and she, she could love music and, and ballet like theater like we do. But we just felt none of that is going to be possible. And so I imagine there's a real grief as a parent learning that news. It was an absolute shock. It was total devastation for us. And then that's when Mary decided to give up her dancing career to be able to just help Sophie, to be able to cope in the world, to be able to perhaps be able to say hello to us or to say, I love you, mom, dad, and, and be able to maybe read a book one day. And uh, all of these things, and, you know, she obviously can't hear music. And that's something we just could not comprehend, how beautiful mm-hmm. music is. Yeah, and the grief that comes with that, all those, I suppose, dreams of, that parents have for their children mm. may not have and I, and, and I, Yeah, and I lost a wonderful uh, partner. Um, you know, she really was my soulmate in life as well as on stage. And suddenly she was gone. What I took from watching Australian Story and the documentary on Sophie is that perhaps all those fears have um, been allayed. She seems a really incredible um, adult and human. And I just wondered if that's been a relief to put that story out into the public forum. Yeah, I, people obviously, um, Mary, my wife, finally agreed to write a, her autobiography, Mary's mm. Last Dance, which has become a national bestseller. I was so happy for her because I've encouraged her, uh, encouraged her for years to write her story because I really think she just got a beautiful story of her own. Mm. And, uh, um, and the, since the success of my book published, and uh, Penguin, my publisher, has been encouraging her to write it because a lot of readers uh, who loved my book would like to know her, her side of the story. Mm-hmm. And so she resisted because she really felt the, probably the, um, the highlight of her life uh, was really Sophie, helping Sophie to become the human being um, you know, she's today. And she's, we're so proud of Sophie. But... Mary's sacrifice, her life and career was really the reason Sophie 
is where she is today. So, uh, so she really did not want to share her story unless Sophie felt comfortable. And, it, and in this case, Sophie was the person encouraged her to share her story with her book. And she, again, she, uh, Sophie was the reason encouraged Mary to say yes to the Australian story uh, when they approached Mary. And I hear you're learning Auslan now. Yes, both uh, <laughs> my uh, wife and I and our two other children are learning Auslan. So we just really felt uh, can speak and she can also sign, but she gets really tired sometimes, you know, trying to listen so hard and the exhaustion level, we just, we just couldn't comprehend really. And uh, so anyway, so we really enjoy it. Auslan is a beautiful language. And we're, uh, you know, we're sorry that we didn't start it earlier. What it has led to is that what is currently on the stage in Queensland, Sleeping Beauty, Mary, your wife, has been involved. And so can you tell me how that's been to have her back in the studio? Yes. Well, she, well, she is the, uh, our principal repetitor and uh, teacher, um, uh, you know, for the last nine years since I've been here. So she's mainly responsible to get our uh, principals and solos dancers to up to the standard in all the roles they have been performing, the bluebirds and all these principal lead couples. Um, but she had reluctantly agreed to appear as the queen uh, in the production. And uh, so, uh, yeah, and it's amazing to obviously to see people like Mary bring such world of experiences uh, back on stage again. Do you think she's got a a new spark from being on the stage? No, she made me promise her that uh, I won't ask her again, <laughs> even though she's she's enjoying it. But she feels that really she wants to spend her energy on the dancers, not on herself. Lee, you have the most incredible life and now we've been exposed to your beautiful family, probably more than we ever have recently with Mary's book and the Australian story. Um, it's a real honour and, you know, we can't wait to see what you do next and um, we wish you luck with Auslan. Well, thank you very much. My my next is continue to make Transat Bali the greatest company possible. Thank you, Lee. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. The Queensland Ballet has just completed their season of Sleeping Beauty to rave reviews and pack theatres. For dates and venues and to buy tickets for their next tour, head to queenslandballet.com.au. And to continue to follow Lee on his adventures, you can follow him on Insta. He's at Lee Shwingsing. Lee and I recorded remotely with Lee dialing in from Brisbane. This episode was produced in Sydney on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, to which we pay our greatest respects. On the next episode, you'll hear from Emma Watkins, better known as Emma Wiggle. Actually being able to explain to people that I wasn't going to be on the show because I was about to have a surgery and I had endo was important because at the time people thought that I was pregnant and it was so far away from that perspective. Your host and producer is me, Claudia Lawson, additional production by Penelope Ford, with editing and sound production by Martin Peralta. 
And for the latest in all things dance, head to fjordreview.com.